My job has a lot to do with people trusting me and knowing that I got them and that I will do, and this is true for every one of my clients, I will do everything in my power to help my clients. And I'm very passionate when I take on a case because I like to win and I like to, you know, to help. And so if my client is happy, I'm happy. You're listening to Option Forward Podcast, a shared platform of independent thinkers and motivators. Join us as we capture the culture of leaders that are paving the way and sharing their inspirational stories. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome back to the show. I'm your boy, Drew. We are Option Forward Podcast. I'm always joined by the second half of the show. GQ Nesta, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Are you doing well? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, little, okay. little nervous? Okay. No. Little, yeah. little nervous? No, no, okay. okay. Got, got caught off guard. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Let's, do, let's, let's, let's get this. Let's, right. let's do it. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, join us today. I would say as someone who has paid her dues and in doing so has created a path for others to follow that share those same interests, all right? And uh, I would say it's inspiration, you know, uh, speaking with her briefly prior to this uh, episode um, was motivating, motivating hearing her story. Um, and here to share her story is Miss uh, the attorney, Miss Maria um, Meliconin. Meliconin? Meliconin. Meliconin. All right, how are you doing today? Very good. How are you? I'm good, good. How are you? What time did you wake up this morning? Ooh, probably like 7.30. 7.30, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Jump and shower and brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> is, there like, is there like a magic playlist we go to, like, you know what I'm saying, to get you up, to get your spirits up? Um, like a like music playlist? Yes. Yeah, I have, I mean, I have connections from my phone to the rest of the house on the speaker, so when I wake up, usually I'll put some sort of music on, and then it makes everybody happy in the morning. Okay. It's a party, huh? Yeah. People wake up and they're already in a good mood. Okay. So tell us about your upbringing. Um, Were you born and raised in the U.S.? I was not. I was born in Armenia. Uh, Had my child, like earlier childhood there. And then I moved here with my family when I was 11. Okay. Yeah. Was, uh, would you say 10 year old, 11 year old self? Is this what you planned on doing? Never. Never saw now, it coming. What did, what did so, you think you would be doing? Probably something in the accounting or business sphere because my my mom was in accounting and my dad was an engineer. So I probably just naturally wanted to follow one of their footsteps. I never okay. thought I would be an attorney. And you practice? Oh, sorry. So you practice uh, cr- criminal law, right? I do. Okay, so how did you get your start in that? Tell the, I know the story, so tell us the story. Okay. How, did this, how did this all begin? So I was in uh, business school in USC, uh, working on you know finance stuff, and I always thought that you know I was going to be either in the stock market or a CFO in some Fortune 500 company. That was my kind of goal, you know, when I was in college. But then I took my business law class, and one of the things we wanted to do was. Um, go to court and watch some sort of a proceeding and write about it for class. I walked into court and I actually looked at those attorneys and I just, something about what they were doing, how they were talking, how they were behaving was, you know, inspirational to me. So I thought to myself, okay, well, why don't I go into corporate law? And I go, you know, I'll go to law school and learn corporate law and do something like that. Well, then I go to law school. And I landed an internship with the California Attorney General's office in their criminal division, just by chance. And then I started doing appellate work, you know, appellate briefs on people that were convicted of a crime who were appealing. And then I was 
arguing on behalf of the attorney general, uh, sustaining the convictions, you know, affirming them or helping them do that. And I got to argue in three separate counties, San Diego, San Bernardino, uh, Riverside, and that was probably the most amazing work I'd ever done. And that kind of, you know, woke me up and I saw a world that I'd never seen before. And so criminal law suddenly kind of became a topic of interest. Okay. All right. And how long have you been practicing? Uh, I want to say, let's see, 2008 is when I passed the bar since 2008. So what, 15 years? Wow. Almost That's 15 years. Is you got an exit strategy? What, 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 are we, what are we thinking about at this point? I, I don't have an exit strategy yet. I still am in the building phase. Okay. Because once I left the district attorney's office and uh, opened up my own law firm, I have my own criminal defense firm now, I am in the process of just going bigger. Okay, where's your firm located? In Glendale. Okay. All right. Well, that's nice. So, <laughs> as do you have any, like, because I'm not sure how law offices are structured, but like, is it just you as a sole like leader of the office, or? So it's me. Um, I'm the yeah. I'm you could call me the boss, I guess. <laughs> I'm the lead attorney, but I do have an associate attorney, who also was a district attorney for more than me. He was he was there for probably 14 years before he left the office, and I snatched him up because he was amazing and we worked together well. So he works for me now. Nice. Nice. Now you've been on like both sides of the of the courtroom. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So what are like I know you probably have some crazy, crazy cases, right? So what is like one of the like funniest or like one of the scariest cases? Like to either, either extreme is fine. Okay, so you want me to talk about first as a DA? Yes. And then okay, so let's see. The funniest first? Yeah, funniest first. Okay. My funniest case I would say probably a minor case, it was a DUI that I was prosecuting, and uh, the defense attorney came up with a very clever defense that I thought was really funny. It didn't work, <laughs> but the defense was that the client was wearing dentures and then the alcohol was stuck in the dentures. That's why when they blew into the breathalyzer machine, <laughs> the alcohol content was really high. <laughs> Um, I saw that coming early on when we were in trial. I think from the opening statement, the way the way that the, right, the, way that the uh, defense attorney structured the opening statement, I figured something's going on here because it was kind of something that they were holding on to. They were gonna kind of throw a bomb in the courtroom, like, "Hey, this is the denture defense." You know? Right, right. I saw that coming, so I started talking to the forensic experts that we have at the Department of Justice, and I was like, "Hey, could something like this be a defense?" You know, I just something hit me that they might claim that you know and uh, of course there's studies done on that there's tests that were done on that and that doesn't work um, oh, I, was, I was actually rooting for the guy <laughs> I know. well now on this side i'm like well you know i feel bad <laughs> i should have let it work should have let it work but no uh, Got him. Right. That was my job, you know, and my job as a DA was to prosecute, and if it was guilty, then he was guilty, you know. Right. But, yeah, that was pretty funny. All right, and what are your strangest? Um, the craziest cases, I mean, I've had a lot because I was in the sex crimes unit for a really long time, so I prosecuted a lot of child molesters. I've seen the worst of it all. I've, I've had cases that made me cry, you know, a lot. I've had cases where I would do a jury trial and the jury would cry. So I'm not going to talk about those because there's, you know, right. I don't want to go into that. But I'd say the one that's really memorable to me now is the last 
trial I did before leaving the DA's office, which was a murder trial. And it was a beautiful black family with uh, the wife wanted to leave the husband. They'd been together for a really long time and they had three gorgeous kids. One was 10, one was 11, and, the, and a newborn. And uh, when she told him that she wanted to leave him, he, uh, he didn't want to have it happen. So, right. you know, the case started with the kids waking up at like four or five in the morning from the mom screaming. You know, 10-year-old kid, I'll never forget his name, runs over to the kitchen after hearing his mom scream his name only to see his mom take her last breath and daddy over mom holding a knife in his hand. And all he did was turn around to the kid and said, mommy was gonna leave us. So that was a case that um, took a lot out of me because I had to bring in a kid as a witness. And so just knowing that psychologically, I'm gonna have to ask this kid some questions that is going to make him relive you know, those moments. You know, it's making me emotional right now, kind of. No, it's good, it's good. It was a tough one. Yeah. (laughs) Just a sec. Cry it out, cry it out. That's okay. (laughs) No, I'm not crying, but you know, it's an emotional, it's an emotional case for me. And um, after the fact, you know, mom's passed away. Dad's in prison for the rest of his life. And uh, the the kids were split up with one being with mom's sister, the other with grandma, because they couldn't handle all the kids together. So, you know, just I always think about those kids. What happened to them, you know? Now, that's, that's not your only case. You know what I'm saying? No. I'm sure there's, like, <laughs> highs and lows. But I'm just saying, like, how do you... It seems like a lot is being packed onto you. So how are you, like, handling that? You know, like, what's, what's your outlet? Like, well... Or is there a number? Like, hey, I can't do no more crazy cases, no more than two a year, because that's... A, no, I don't think you get to choose that. See... I, I, I talked about cases as a DA, now as a defense attorney too, there's additional stress too. Like I had my last case as a defense attorney was defending a guy, a 20-year-old kid actually, for me he's a kid, who um, had shot at his mom's boyfriend because he saw the mom's boyfriend try to strangle his mom. And that kid was being prosecuted for attempted murder with some crazy enhancements and he was, you know, they were going to try to get him go to life. And I had that responsibility on my shoulders. Like, if I don't do my job right, this kid's going to go away. So that's another stress that's, you know, that you have as a defense attorney. Now it's no longer, hey, I'm doing my job and whatever happens, happens. Now it's, I'm doing my job and if I don't do it right, somebody's going to go to prison for life. And so do I get to choose what cases I do and how many do I limit myself? I can't. Because when the client comes to you and you want to help them, you don't know when that case is going to come to trial if it does. And so sometimes you go to trial back to back to back to back and you live on adrenaline. And um, the stress kind of becomes part of your life. You, you learn to manage it. Maybe you don't really manage it. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it messes you up and you don't realize it. Um, but it's something you learn to live with. Does this job like I mean what are some like things that you use to kind of like you know kind of decompress um you know just go out and try to not think about that you know I have incredible friends that I 
can you define the go out? <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> like I wouldn't see like do, do you have fun? That's what no, I'm no, saying. I like, have fun. We party. I, I I'm a social person. I'm a okay. Super social person. Okay. I like to drink my cocktails. You know, I like to go out. We like to party. You know, a group of friends, couples, whatever, bunch of us. We go out. We we drink. We have fun. We dance, and we try to not think about it. You know. Yeah. No. For sure. I mean, I think that I think that's I your job. I think from you know different sides. I think is pretty hard. You know and. I think it, it might be emotionally draining and, you know, kind of create some sort of like traumas, right? Definitely. In your, in your like regular life. Like, do, do you see that? Like, do you see like you taking different approaches just based on what you see or what you deal with? Always. So I have a 10 year old daughter and uh, when I go to any store with her, I notice that I'm holding her hand really tight. Hmm. And um, sometimes I think about it and I say, what am I doing, you know? And I let it go. And that's because I've seen so much that I'm afraid of just, you know, even letting her kind of walk on her own. It's, you know, it's a part of my life now without even realizing it, you know? Little things like that, yeah. That's crazy. It's almost <laughs> like being a doctor, you know what I'm saying? Working in an in a emergency, emergency room. Uh, operating room doctors. Wow, I, I don't know, because uh, I, I, you know, like as a kid, that's like kind of what I was interested in. Uh, you know, the top lawyer, doctor, cop, but mostly lawyer because I like to argue a lot. You know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's 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 a lot. Um, so, what is like your typical day, right? For for those who maybe in high school trying to figure out what they're doing, like, yo, I'm a, I want to be a criminal defense attorney. So what's your typical day look like? That's a really good question because I get a lot of college kids calling me, you know, texting me, messaging me. It's not as fun as it looks on TV, you know? Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot going on in court, but then there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't like to show on TV, right? So I'll wake up in the morning as early as I can, 6 o'clock, 6.30, whatever, enough time for me to shower, get ready, and be in court, no matter which county I'm in, because I go to a lot of different places, and I have to be in court about 8.20ish. Court starts at 8.30, we want to be there a little bit before our clients get there. Usually my day begins with already arguing with a district attorney who obviously doesn't want what I want on a case, presenting my case, you know, arranging meetings with the district attorney's office to talk about the case, you know, going in chambers, talking to the judges about the case, reading the police reports, ordering discovery, arguing why my evidence hasn't been presented to me yet, why it's taken the DA two months to get me, you know, a video that I've been wanting. Usually I'll be done with court by like 12. This is, you know, not when I'm in trial. When I'm in trial is a different story. This is just a regular day. Okay. And then um, I'll take my lunch break, come back, back to the office at 1.30, and that's my time when I organize everything that I've done in the morning and also start with the client meetings. So I'm meeting with the clients to explain what happened in court, you know, what we have, what we need to do, then I have new clients that wanna consult with me. So up till about five or six in the evening, I try to not book people after six. Um, I do client consultations and client meetings nonstop. And then I go home and realize that I haven't done much all day because I haven't been able to file my motions. I haven't been able to review the stuff that I need to review. And so a lot of times after my dinner and after everything's settled at, you know, with a family at home, I sit down and that's when I really start working. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So uh, I got a question, like, and, and I think that's um, 
they may be conspiracies and sometimes it may be true or i think you might have a better input on that but as far as the the system being designed for people to settle can you agree to that or or what do you think because i'm i'm pretty sure now that you you're in the you know um defense side so i think now it's a it's the complete opposite team so what are your thoughts on that so it's really sad but it's true and, I knew it. Uh, and, and I, <laughs> I freaking knew it. No, it, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you examples. You know, I've had a, I had a case where I knew my client was innocent, absolutely innocent, and I would present that to the district attorney. And a lot of times, because, and, and I'll tell you, this is my experience as a district attorney as well. So, I understand where they're coming from, but it's just sad. The situation is sad. But what it is is, they hear stories every day. Every single defense attorney that comes in to talk to the district attorney has a story and an excuse and they want something better. And so the district attorneys that are working on those cases are, are immune, almost immune to it. It's like, okay, well, the same story again. Here, here, here go the violins. Everybody's innocent. Nobody did it. Everybody needs mercy. So they stop hearing you, you know, after a while. And, and that's really sad because when you do have a situation where it's real and this person needs a break or is innocent, they stop listening. They don't even want to listen. And so that's hard. You know? Let me ask you something. Um, I just saw this movie, uh, Trial by Fire. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh, you guys got to watch it. Okay, <laughs> Trial by Fire. But anyway, long story short, it's in Texas, right? Where death penalty is the thing, right? Um, this guy is basically accused of doing arson and killing his kids, right? But um, apparently everything was kind of designed for him to just be accused of it right and then later on they find out as years go by where there's technology and there's you know different resources that this guy could have used right they find out that even the testimonies of of, of several individuals involved in the case um were kind of forced to even say hey this person admitted to doing such thing right so this guy actually goes and does everything um right before like i think it was like 10 days before he actually was like supposed to be executed and then um even some guy like emails like i I don't know if it was like the like the warden or the mayor or something and then like basically confessing that he was forced to testify against his uh cellmate long story short this guy dies and then you know it's kind of left like that so what are your thoughts on that? Like, you know what I mean? Stop. Like, like, do you think that now there, there's ways to avoid that versus? I mean, with DNA and, you know, the scientific evidence that's behind it, it's, it's, it's a little bit more clean, but it's never 100%. And unfortunately, when the evidence points to guilt and they just have that, you know, that's what they have. And that's why our system, you have 12 jurors who are ultimately going to be the decision makers. It's it's happened many times. And like we see it today where some convictions are overturned because some DNA evidence popped up now, 20 years after, and someone's been doing time. And now they realize they got the wrong guy. So I'm hopeful, you know, that today it's, it's not as bad, but it had happened, you know, and Sometimes, if the attorney doesn't do a good job, the jury doesn't see the, the truth. 
do you ever find yourself like protecting your record? Meaning, meaning like you would probably go against certain things that, I mean, I, I mean, that's a pretty messed up question to ask you on this, but you know, I think we're all humans and we're all put in that position where we kind of have to choose whether, you know, you, we want to live by a moral code or like, you know, just like defending someone. Yeah. So meaning if I, if I think something is wrong and I have a yeah. client who's done that and I right. have to protect him, um, that's a good question. I think morals do come into play, but I think if you've chosen to be a defense attorney, um, you have to kind of put them aside and focus on the facts and the law. And um, at the end of the day, you have to see whether or not the government has enough proof to prove that your client is Even guilty. Even if they're guilty? Who, who determines that? Right? Ooh. So the government has to prove that someone is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they don't have that proof, who are we to say that he is guilty? That's why we have 12 jurors who have to make a decision at the end of the day. Now, I think your question is, is if I believe my client is guilty, do I have you know, the ethical or moral dilemma? And I don't. First of all, I don't ask my clients if they're guilty. I don't wanna know, unless they tell me themselves that's different, but I don't wanna know. Because what I want to know is whether or not the district attorney has enough evidence to prosecute and find my client guilty. And my job is to make sure that they don't. You're going to be on speed dial. 100 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. That's awesome. You know, but I do have cases, you know, morally, ethically speaking, that I don't take. And those are child molest cases where I do believe that the guy is guilty. If I think that he's not guilty, then I take it. Why not? Of course. I'll protect anybody that I think is innocent. But... If I have a child molest case and I do think my client is guilty, I will have a moral dilemma. And that's because I know too much. That's because I helped too many kids in my time and I just, I, I can't, I can't go there. Nice. <laughs> that's nice. So how do you determine, like, um, I think, because I only know this by watching movies or something, so you got to retain there or whatever your fees are, right? So how do you determine what cases you take and what cases you don't? Um, first of all, if I don't like my client, I won't take his case. So if I have a disrespectful guy walking into my office or even on the phone, talking to me with disrespect in any form, he, he, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna help him. Um, my job has a lot to do with people trusting me and knowing that I got them and that I will do, and this is true for every one of my clients, I will do everything in my power to help my clients. And I'm very passionate when I take on a case because I like to win and I like mm. to, you know, to help. And so if my client is happy, I'm happy. And if my client call me or if a potential client calls me and is already disrespectful to me, cuts me off when I'm talking, you know, acts like they're smarter than me, I don't want to deal with them because I need them to put all of their trust in me so that I could do whatever I can for them. And I've had people where they call me and they go, uh, you know, you're just an attorney. You don't even know what's going on. You know, here's here's how it happened. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I already, I, I already, already have an issue. Uh. <laughs> well, guess what? I'm done. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's cool. And, you know, and I try to be nice because I can't, like, you know, be rude to somebody and just hang up the phone because there's a lot of weirdos out there that will go and say some bad things about you. So I try to be nice and I say, I'll call you back. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it, it appears 
uh, or one may look at, at what you do for a living. It's like, do you put in hours during the day? Uh, what is it like? Are you taking time off? Like you only working six months out of the year, nine months out of the year? How do you, how do you, that mental, that work-life balance? So I'm working 24 seven, 12 months out of the year, every day out of the week, but with limitations. So for example, I'm going on vacation in a few weeks. And uh, where are you going? I'm going to Italy. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna cross into France to, to visit Cannes before I, before we hop back. But um, even when I'm on vacation, my brain doesn't stop. So when I say I'm working, I'm not actually sitting behind a desk or you know in court, but. I will be probably answering phones. I'll probably have my laptop in my hotel room when we all come back at night and check to make sure everything's running smoothly because my heart, my, my heart, my mind is not going to be just relaxed knowing that, you know, my clients, you know, have cases on You're calendar. You're like a superhero. <laughs> You're like a superhero. It's, I think it's just, it comes with a job, you know, you just, you can't really have that rest because things are happening even when you're not there and you have to be in control and I am a little bit of a control freak and even if I have the best associate who I know will go to court and handle things, I'm calling him when he's in court, I'm calling him when he's out of court, I'm texting him to know everything's running smooth, so... It's my responsibility, it's my reputation, it's my life, so it, it, you know, there's no stop. Do you see yourself like, um, you know, potential judge in the upbringing? You know, it, it's funny because when I left the district attorney's office after 13 years of being a deputy DA, um, a lot of my colleagues, um, even on the opposite side, people that have trials with me, you know, you would think that we would hate each other, we actually would become really good friends after, um, would tell me like why don't you just run for a judge why are you going on you know on your own I feel like I'm not there yet mentally maybe I want to do what I can to run my own business be my own boss and do my own thing and just try to see how far I can stretch that you know um, if I can make enough money and be happy where I'm at and then kind of I look at being a judge like a retirement almost you know, then just go and, 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 and do that. So maybe one day. There's, It's not a no, but it's definitely not a yes. Okay, so I don't want you to give too much information, but all I'm thinking about is I, I'm going to like, how much time is it going to take me and how much you going to pay me, right? <laughs> so all I'm hearing is 24-7, 365. How is the pay structure? Like, what are, what are we talking about? Year one, year five, year ten. Like, what is somebody looking at? Because it's, it's got to be worth it. Is it worth it? Like, it, it has to be financially. No matter how much good you're doing in the world, it, it has to be, like, where you want it to be, the, you know, financially. The real answer, if you break down how much I'm working to an hourly rate, I'm working for pennies. But do I make a good living? I do. You know, do they realize how much I'm actually working? Nobody does. Um, but at the end of the day, I am making money, you know, and I'm making much better money than I did when I was working for the government. So it, there's a payoff. Um, how much does a case cost, for example, is gonna depend on the severity, the significance of the case. You know, a misdemeanor case is gonna be much cheaper than a felony case. A regular felony case with somebody for someone who doesn't have a criminal record is gonna be a little bit on the lower end as opposed to someone who's got a criminal record because it's a lot to work, more to work with. Someone who's looking at a life case, for example, it's gonna be very expensive. But as expensive as, a, as expensive as it is, if I turn around and look at, am I truly being compensated for the actual work that I'm putting in? Probably not. 
so, so let me ask you this. Um, obviously, uh, I've, I've heard some rumors about um, whether relationships, as far as your relationship with the judge, um, it may matter in, in the sense of like your outcome mm -hmm. um, from time to time. And if that's the case, I mean, do you ever find that a, a problem, especially being a woman in, in the, and especially being a pretty woman? Because like, I mean, if, if you were like, if you had like some glasses and you were just like, just super Karen, like the, it would be a completely different, right? But you would be here running like America's <laughs> top model. Oh my you know God, what I mean? No. Say, talking about like, hey, like he's not guilty. You know what I mean? So like, do you think that, does that ever like, a, like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hearing two questions, you know, relationships with judges versus how you look in the legal yeah, industry yeah, overall. Yeah, for sure. Um, I look, there's a there's a benefit and then there's a very big negative component to looking, you know, not like a Karen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, and what that is, is constantly having to prove that you're smarter than what they what people generally what believe. They think because I think for the general public, when they think of a very smart attorney who's going to represent them for something that their life depends on, right? They look to older men with white hair because they think they're just wiser and more experienced. When in reality, I'll tell you as a deputy district attorney, I've had trial after trial. I've done way too many jury trials for you know how long I've been a DA. And I've had numerous of those attorneys that have that reputation. And I would look and say, I can't believe this client paid so much money for this type of representation. Wow. It's ha it happened way more, way, way more than I'd like to see. And um, a lot of people don't understand that. Like they don't know the experience that, for example, somebody like me, who has handled every type of crime you can imagine from every severity. And I've gotten exceptional verdicts my entire career. And uh, people don't know that. When they look at you, they look at a young looking, you know, girl with blonde hair or whatever, and they just already have their, their conviction. So that's hard. And when I started out back in 2008, which is when I started with the DA's office, you know, um, most of the judges and the more senior attorneys were all male. And so that was really tough because you were constantly underestimated. But I got to learn to love that because when they don't expect what's coming, you know, you 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 kind of you conquer. Well, now smile on your face. now in your new position, right? As a as a as a you know being on the other side, I think it might benefit you 100, percent right? Um, it definitely does. I mean, I think my past is the reason why people trust me more. Um, you know, looks wise though, that there's always that that. Hell issue. yeah, you'd be like in those little like you know grocery little thing where you separate your groceries. You know, put your face in there, and then that's it. Like you, all you have to do is just. Take the calls, you know what I mean? It, it, it's not like that though, no? it's not like that. No, I think, you know, like I said, I, I'd love it if it was, you know, um, if it was that easy, but it's not. I think people, when they're choosing a criminal attorney, they need to come and, and see you and they need to hear you. And where my clients end up signing with me and trusting me is after listening to me. Because when I explain things to them and I tell them what can be done, what is the law, how we do things and what I've done in the past, then they become, you know, more certain, more certain, and they trust me because they understand after going from attorney to attorney to attorney, you know, because they go to many consultations, they come back, you know, because they realize that they trust me. And that's, that's what really matters. 
So what? How are how are like what are the payment options? You know, we doing cash app, we doing Zill. <laughs> like how? Like no, in all seriousness, like those who say, for instance, they know you have a great reputation of doing a great job on handling your cases. Those who aren't financially able to basically get your representation. How does that work? Yeah. So. I've had people who have come from, you know, much less, you know, much less wealthy families, I would say. Okay, I'm trying to be politically correct. But, um, and what they've done is they've put together, for example, their families would chip in and um, maybe somebody would put a couple thousand on a credit card and then another person would put a little bit and then just get it together, you know. And I don't do, I've been burned a lot. I don't do payment plans anymore because I, I have a soft heart. So when somebody comes to me and they're like, you know, I'm going through a tough time, I'm gonna make payments. I've said yes, too many times. And when the time comes to collect and I need to get paid for the, the job that I'm doing, oh, you know, give me another month, give me another two months. And then ultimately I've written them off. You know, I don't, I, I, I have too many cases where I haven't actually collected and I've done the job. It didn't stop me from doing great for them because you know, they're still my clients and I have to do my job. So I stopped taking payment plans. I take my fees up front. But I have everything you can imagine. People can sell me, people can pay me by credit card, you know, uh, cash, check, I take everything. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, who in life uh, do you value the most? My family. Any specific member? No, I can't choose. Every, it's, it's like saying to you know a, a kid, who do you love more, mom or dad, or telling a parent which kid you love more. You have to say it. You, I, I don't have one. <laughs> I, I can't. It's just it's impossible. But it's my immediate family, and uh, I'll tell you the the one thing that I felt. I don't know if this is gonna sound strange to people, but if I'm going on vacation and I'm in an airplane, and my all my family members are in it. I'm, I'm at peace because if something happens, we're all together. Who would you save? I know that sounds horrible, right? But <laughs> who, who would you save? Who would I save? Don't ask me that. I can't answer it. <laughs> and, and, and another I thing. I plead the fifth. She's like, I plead the fifth, 100%. And also, like, if I'm anywhere in the planet, in the worst place or in the best place, it doesn't matter. If my family is with me, I feel home. So. That's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> What's your, um, What's your definition of success? That's a really hard question because obviously success comes from some sort of a monetary value, right? But for me, I think it's not just money. I think success comes from, for me anyway, the ability to pick up your family and go on vacation for a couple months without worrying, are you going to be able to make, you know, your ends meet? and come back and you don't have to go the, you know, the every day of working nonstop to be able to make sure that everything is covered. You know, I think in my definition of success for me, if I have the type of financial stability where I could just pick up and go and come back and resume when I want to is my ultimate goal, as opposed to I do it because I have to. So, so I have a question like, I think uh, it's almost natural to, as a human, to try to like follow patterns, right? And these patterns like kind of are the ones that put barriers on 
what you're willing to push and what you're willing to just be like, no, this is where I stop. So is there any particular situation where you feel like you kind of feel like you kind of have to push, but at the same time you, you feel like it's kind of hard for you? Honestly, I haven't let anything stop me yet, but I do understand that concept because I remember when I was with the days off and I was doing trial after trial after trial, I was missing out on a lot of my family events, my family functions, and I was kind of an absentee figure in my family. And that, you know, that when you look back after a few years, was it worth it? You know, that you lost all these special moments because you had to work, 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 work. So I think I have to be more conscious about it and start looking at it that way. But so far, it's just, I go with the adrenaline and just go. You know, I haven't stopped, so hope. I do need to make those, uh, draw those lines for myself. Okay, she's like, Tupac. <laughs> she's like, thug life, let's, let's go. That's, that's cool. Um, what's one thing that you would like to accomplish, maybe professionally, personally, uh, um, to grow my business and uh, provide other services other than just criminal law. For example, an area that I see myself going to in the near future are potential harassment suits where, you know, a lot of my clients will come in and I, I have a case right now where I know the police were after my client and not for the right reasons. And, you know, I don't have the ability right now to go after them civilly. So I'd like to grow and be able to do multiple things where I can help my clients in more than one way. Some of my clients have immigration issues. You know, they'll have a conviction and then there's a resulting immigration issue or they're having an immigration case and they have something in the criminal court that's affecting them. So they go after two different attorneys, you know, and then they come to me. I have other attorneys that I work with that help me out and I, I would like to be that one-stop shop for those situations that arise from a single, you know, factual scenario. So. That's where I see myself going. What are things that stop you like from actually doing that? Because regardless, you have a, you know, you're, you're there, like you have the credentials. Is it because of like, you haven't researched or like experienced those type of trials? Um, I think what it is, well, yeah, I don't have the experience in those type of trials. My experience is solely in criminal, but um, you know, it's still legal stuff. Well, and it's, what, what would be the difference though? The difference would be more manpower. So I'd have to put in more capital to be able to sustain those employees, to be able to you know pay for uh, all kinds of insurances and other stuff. And it's not not it's not impossible. It's I'm there. It's just that one next step that I have to take. So so if you have like let's just say you have a criminal and then you have a immigration, mm -hmm. right? So what would be something that would be kind of the, the biggest like setback? from you taking both cases at this point in your career? I don't have, I would never, it's like going to an eye surgeon and saying, do my heart surgery. Mm. Or going to a heart surgeon and saying, do my eye surgery. They're very different. They have nuances and um, areas that you don't know because you don't deal with it every day. So there's always going to be loopholes that you need to know about. There's gonna be case law that you need to know. And I don't know those things. So in order for me to grow into that area, I'm not gonna do that myself. I'm gonna bring in some power mm. that I trust. I have to trust them first and to know that I, we're going to be taking care of it. So for that like capital, right? So you said to bring in that like that subject matter expert, that's me, right? Or how does it work 
you know what I'm saying? I, I know business, and maybe just business is business. Are you going to banks to get that capital? You know what I'm saying? To hire additional employees? How does that work? I, I think that I would be able to sustain that myself without going into banks uh, based on my work. So what my goal was when I started my office is that growth. So I've been able to put back enough that I'd be able to put back in. And so that's going to be the natural next step. Did you oversee, like as a little girl, did you ever always saw yourself as an attorney? Never. I um, always saw myself as a finance person. And that's why I went to business school without even thinking about it. Just kind of naturally taking that next step. Um, I was good at numbers. I was good in math. You know, everyone says, oh, if you're bad at math, you know, become an attorney. That I, I never understood that for myself because I'm really good at math. That was my, the only class I ever loved, you know, whether it was calculus or trig or whatever. But um, I think law, you know, when I, when I watched people in court, when I saw those attorneys, there was something in me that I, I looked at them with respect. I don't even know why. I didn't have an understanding of why I looked at them with respect, but it was like, I want to be like that. You know, I think that's where it started from. So if you can like go back to being that little girl, right? What would that little girl say about the woman that you are today? Don't become a criminal attorney. Really? Yeah. <laughs> she already knew. She already knew. That, that's how good she is. She was like, she already knew what I was going to say. She was like, got him. Yes. <laughs> got him. Right. Damn. But so I have, a, uh, I have a hypothetical question for you all right, before we wrap it up, right? So, all right, let me paint the picture for you, all right? Uh, if, whether you're married or dating or single, all right? So someone approaches you, right? I'll just take you out, all right? This this extravagant evening includes maybe a little hiking, helicopter ride, the whole nine yard, and a nice dinner at like a five-star restaurant, right? Michelin star, that's what Catherine was saying, right? And um, the waiter comes out, you've got a little, I've already eaten, the waiter comes out, he presents the check, right? And you notice the guy, he starts like perspiring a little bit, starts swearing, you see sweat start coming down, right? And you're like, hey, what's, what's wrong? He was like, oh, I left, my, I left my wallet, right? So you got three options, right? Are you gonna offer, this is the first day too, right? Are you gonna offer to pay? All right, are you gonna make a scene like straight loving hip hop? Oh, heck no, <laughs> you broke, <laughs> you know, like, or are you gonna run for the door and hope you don't get caught? I'd take care of it. I wouldn't even offer, I'd just take care of it. Now, would I see that person ever again? That's a different story. <laughs> but I'd take care of it, no problem. In fact, I'm probably too nice. I'd probably make him feel like it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. I'm I got never it. seeing you again. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but he wouldn't know that I'm not seeing him again. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to the conclusion of our show. Um, as we always do, I'll open up the microphone and the table to our guests and to our hosts to leave any hard words or wisdom or anything they want to share with our viewers and our listeners. Uh, today, we're going to start out with uh, GQ Nesto. Is there anything you would like to share? I want to say thank you, uh, all our listeners, for you know supporting. Uh, definitely tune in. We definitely have uh, great um, content coming up. So follow us on all our social media platforms. And uh, once again, thank you. Um, obviously, this this only, this show only continues for as much support we get. So appreciate right. it. And Miss Mariah, anything you would like to share with our viewers and our listeners? 
I didn't think about this one. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. You know, if anyone has a criminal issue and they need a consultation, they need some advice. Let them know. Let them know. Let know. Put your handles on. My Instagram page, Melconian Firm. It's, I believe it is. Yeah, Melconian Firm. Uh, my phone number is listed on my account. You know, you can go over to my website. It's www.melconianfirm.com. Yeah, so you know, you could just Google my name, Maria Malconian, and I should come up. So feel free to find me if you need my services. All right, all right, most definitely. And uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Um, we love you, we thank you, thank you for all the support. I'm your boy Drew. We are Option 4 Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Oh, 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 oh,